This episode was recorded and produced on the land of the Gamaragal people, the Aboriginal people of Manly and Northern Sydney. I acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land and pay my respect to any elders, past, present or emerging. crew welcome back to the high people podcast the first one for 2022 how exciting is that i just have to check my watch just to make sure i got the date right yet i haven't got used to saying 2022 yet but it is awesome to be back with you thank you so much for tuning in um, for checking out the high people podcast if you haven't met me before my name is clayton and i run the high people podcast where you know, we interview and talk to different people about different stories and different parts of life. And uh, it's really, really interesting to hear other people's stories and perspectives on certain things. And, you know, this story um, that we're about to bring to you is another one um, of really, really cool stuff. So it's really interesting and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Hey, if you haven't, follow us on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook. Um, give us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. All these things really help, uh, and the feedback is always appreciated. Always looking for some more guests. If you'd like to come on, please reach out. Um, but yeah, looking forward to sharing this episode with you. Now, this is Liam Carroll, who is the editor of the Tawny Frogmouth magazine, the local Northern Beaches monthly magazine, uh, which is a really awesome and exciting read. And we go through the journey of how he got to starting this magazine, his life prior to that, his uh, many different uh, things he's done, different countries he's lived in and everything, and the aspirations that he now has for the Tawny Frogmouth. It was an awesome conversation. Uh, Massive thank you to Liam uh, for giving up his time um, to do that. Yeah, but without further ado, let's get into it. This is the story of Liam Carroll from the Tawny Frogmouth magazine. Well, my next uh, guest is Liam Carroll from the Tawny Frogmouth magazine, who I've not actually met before until about five minutes ago. And we've just had a, a little chat um, before coming on to the podcast. Um, he's a friend of one of the shows, Chris, uh, who writes uh, for Tawny and does all these meals and the, the awesome cooking that uh, we've experienced and chatted about before. Um, but really excited to discuss not only his life, but also the, the 20 Frogmouth uh, magazine. So Liam Carroll, welcome to the High People podcast, mate. It's great to have you on. Cheers, Clayton. And um, good on Chris Roberts with his film and food. Give his podcast a plug. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a, it's a great show. Yeah, so he's always got an article there, the film and food. So on you, Chris. Yeah, he's a legend. Absolute legend. He'll love the shout out as well. So, mate, we, we were just talking uh, offline um, about, you know, obviously your last week. It's been a bit of a chaotic uh, week, I suppose, for you as well. Just give us a bit of a run through. What's, what's been happening in, in your household in the last one to two weeks? Yeah, so we got Omicroned and um, I feel like we're on the uh, sort of a week sort of timeline uh, overlap, me and you. Because <laughs> um, Sunday, week ago, basically Sunday night, uh, got a pizza from Emiliano's at Fairlight. And then was watching yeah. a movie and then just around 10 p.m. 
um, just had the sweats and the fevers and all of Monday was just sweating absolute bullets. And luckily my partner's mum works in a aged care facility and had a few rats up her sleeve. So uh, <laughs> we're able to access a rat and I, I got COVID, you know? So, yeah. but it, it was about two days of full on sweats uh, and then I've been fine. But then we've got a 11 month old baby and I think she probably had the peak of hers with a fever on about Wednesday. Uh, and then mm. my partner Quinn, she had, and she's had more of the less sweats and more throat. Um, she even vomited on one night. Um, so mm. I think it's real, it's so different for everyone. Yeah. That's crazy. Now I'm sitting here on the Tuesday, which we're recording this. You're now done. I'm three days in after testing positive on Sunday. So we were emailing backwards and forwards being like, oh, I can't do it this week because, you know, I'm looking after my wife and uh, with this and I've got COVID. We're like, yeah, no dramas. Like next Tuesday will be sweet. Then I sent you a text this morning being like, oh, you're a Trojan. you wouldn't have guessed it. I've got it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm fortunate so... enough to be able to see you through the Zoom and you're sweating pretty pretty nicely, so it's a good blow. Oh man, I've got a good I've got a good shine on. I tell you what, this, you are this, committed one, this content won't be going to the uh, <laughs> this one won't be going to the Instagram feed. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Um, well, you mentioned quickly about your your family there. Um, obviously, we'll get into the Frogmouth um, magazine in depth because you know it is something that does appear in my mailbox every month, and I obviously want to explore that and the the who, what, when, hows, and whys um, around that. Um, but just do a quick introduction um, to your family. Who's in your household? Yeah, so my partner Quinn, and she's actually from Perth originally, but luckily she moved to Manly ten years ago or so. And our daughter Zosha, who's eleven months old, yesterday. And um, Zosha, that's a great name. Yes, Where does that originate from? If you don't mind me asking, it's Polish, and her grandmother on my partner's side is half Polish. Um, and it's spelt in a weird way with Z-O-S-I-A and everyone asks how it's pronounced. And I actually was mispronouncing it before she was born. I think it was more like Zosha, <laughs> like Porsche with a, but then there was actually a <laughs> Polish kind of admin person at the hospital who fully regulated me and corrected me on my own daughter's name when, when she was born. So, uh, you know. So. You got it right now. That's the main it's very thing. Popular. You if, right if, you go to, if you go to Poland, it's a very popular name. Hmm. And, uh, Luckily, we're in yeah, Manly, right. so it's yeah, not that popular exactly. and it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that, you know, if we're going to, to look uh, back at your life in, in specifically, are you born and bred Beaches boy or what was your growing up? Where were you born? Well, I should say that because I'm making a magazine for the beaches, but I'm actually, I was born at <laughs> North Shore Hospital in 1980 yeah. and I'm the Balmain boy, sort of grew up in Balmain, okay. Tigers absolute uh, diehard. I actually wrote a book about 1988 Balmain called Sweet Dreams of Fanta about being a little tubby mm. kid and addicted to Fanta in the 80s. Um, <laughs> but my father had always, my parents separated when, you know, when I was about one, but he often lived at mm. Newport. So I spent a lot of time at Newport growing mm. up. And then I got super into surfing. So as soon as I got my license, I was driving to the beach all, all the time. And then my first job at DY I moved to Newport the first the first actual paycheck I got. You know. I moved yeah, to right. underneath someone's house at Newport just to be closer to the beach and become a beach's local. 
Beautiful, and yeah, haven't look, haven't turned back after all that. You're still living in in the beautiful. You know what? Beaches I, I now, look at Newport coming off, bunging, cool, cool, and mainly manly, and fair light. Hmm. Very good. So when you were when you were younger, so you said you're out in in Balmain. Did you go to school all the way through, or went, what was the the process for you? I suppose then ending up in in Newport. Yeah, no, it was kindergarten year one at Roseville Public. And um, I remember it pretty vividly because there was a magpie plague that used to haunt me um, <laughs> every spring. And then I actually went to St. Augustine's in Balmain, um, year two, three, four. And that's where that book is set, uh, Sweet Dreams of Fanta. Mm-hmm. And then that was sort of my, my grandparents were quite Catholic. So mum tried to appease the Catholic schooling but didn't rate it. And I went to a sort of alternate private school called International Grammar School in Surrey Hills. And I learned to speak fluent German when I was about 10 because they really had to learn a foreign language and a musical instrument. So when I was about okay. 10 years old, I was doing little piano concertos and speaking German. I can still speak German, <laughs> but I can't do the piano very well. Yeah, and right. Then, I was going to say, can you still do both? That's pretty cool. You can still speak no. German. That's awesome. But also back in those days, I had to catch a couple of buses and a ferry to get to Surrey Hills as a 10-year-old. Mm. And so that seemed like pretty eye-opening because there was a lot of... Um, to sort of 1990 Sydney and there was quite a lot of looking back on it I used to walk straight through the housing commission at Surrey Hills and all sorts of drug addicts and things like that and um, mm. you know you just thought they were quite excited people when you're 10 years old um, <laughs> and walk through Central Station and see all the buskers and all the sort of happenings going on um, and then mum got a little bit frightened at the high school at International Grammar School wasn't particularly um, focused on HSC results. It was more about the experience, sort of maybe similar to a Rudolf Steiner type feel, if anything. Hmm. And somehow got me into Shaw School at North Sydney, probably the hardest school to get into on earth. And I just snuck in it, like literally the term four, year six, they hooked me up for year seven. And that was all of high school. Yeah, but I won the German and the Latin prize and every language prize every year. (laughs) A lot of people Ah, thought I was German, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> thanks to the early schooling, they get those German. Yeah, thanks to Frau Schmidt and you know Frau O'Brien, and uh, <laughs> and just to be clear, it was, it was two hours every day, but, and they just spoke German, mm. you know, um, and you just absorbed it as a ten-year-old wow. so quickly. Yeah, I suppose at that time your brain is still growing so much. It's perfect time for to start learning a language. Yeah. I wish that. You know, I could have learnt another language. It was probably part to my laziness and no, I think no three twelve. Teachers were no good. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the teachers of language for for say primary school, when you should really be hammering it, you know, it's just colouring in. I, I did Italian in year one or two, and it was just colouring in mm. pizzas or whatever. It wasn't, you know, yeah. they didn't teach it very well. And then if you try and learn after about age twelve, it just gets harder. Because I've lived in China, and I I can't speak anything. You know. No idea. Um, yeah, sure. Had a fair bit of time in Indonesia, and now a little bit, but German. And then, if you learn German, you can learn French and Spanish, and those languages are all pretty similar. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So when you were going through, you know, your school and you know high school and and finishing that, was there something that you were really keen on doing? Is there a bit of a, a direction I suppose you had in your head that? You want to go? Were you going to be the, the, the next Kelly Slater or were you going to be the next author? Or, or what was, I suppose, the journey that you were going on at that time? No, well, I mean, reflecting once you're older, you sort of see things clearly. But I was 
going to be a doctor. I was dead set. That's all I wanted to do. Okay. Um, so I don't know why, um, but I had this thing in my head to be a doctor for Médecins Sans Frontières in Africa or something. And you know, mm. so all I wanted to do was get the HSC marks for that. And I got a pretty awesome HSC mark, but I was about you know, 0.2 off getting straight into sort of undergraduate. And in 1998, they just changed it. So there weren't so many. You had to actually do postgraduate studies, which is actually a black I went to school with. It was his dad, Prick, who um, made doctors. <laughs> his doctors had no bedside manner. And his theory was you, you should do a degree first and then go back and do a four-year medicine degree postgraduate rather than a six-year undergraduate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, well, all ends up well because I did physiotherapy. Um, actually, I did medical science for about two weeks and then quit and had a year off, did laboring and went surfing because <laughs> medical yeah, science nice. is lab, lab, lab based and, you know, probably probably be helpful for COVID, finding a cure for COVID. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be in a lab my whole life. Um, but I did physiotherapy um, and that was really helpful for, um, you know, knowing what's going wrong with my own back and stuff. <laughs> But yeah. I didn't work for very long in it. I, um, and, and the idea of doing medicine straight after doing a four-year physio degree, that was out the window. I've had age 19 and a half. I thought, that's not happening. Yeah. yeah. That's a long time to study, that's for sure. So you said you, you, you finished your physio studies. Did you then, yeah. you know, how, how long did you do physiotherapy for? About two and a half years. And that's where um, mm-hmm. the actual first job I got was I was a locum at Singleton on... Um, sort of the beginning of the coal mining belt up to Muzzlebrook. It's also mm. really good farming land, but there was a physio practice where a 30 year old bloke um, had a really busy practice, but then he, you know, was working too hard, probably working 80 hour weeks doing physio, which is full on because it's so physical. And he actually mm. fell asleep at the wheel and died with two young kids and a wife. So basically I sort of just helped out for a couple of months because I had a job at DY starting on a certain date. So I said I had two months and I went up there and it was amazing. Um, but it was a pretty big eye opener as your first job to see mm. someone who just pushed it too hard and literally at 30 dead. He was a real local legend in the town. So that was pretty amazing. Um, and also the coal mining, this is in 2003 and the whole sort of China boom, if I had my time again, I would just bought shares in every BHP and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but Singleton actually had the highest uh, postcode average salary because it wasn't like small business owners or anything. Everyone was actually on a salary for BHP and, and other coal mining mm. type operations and earning an absolute fortune. And, and all that sort of workers' comp work was feeding into this practice. Mm. But then I didn't want to live at Singleton and I got the job at DY and was there for a couple of years um but then i um i like having the physiotherapy knowledge for my own self but dealing with people in pain all day it wore me out and um around age 25 i realized uh, i wanted to make as much money as possible and i got a job in an investment bank <laughs> doing right oh wow trainee. that's a change yeah yeah, yeah i, I jagged yeah. that too um but probably and i'm sure a lot of people go through this at I had no idea really about how money works at all. And, you know, my parents just, you know, I had pocket money or I had, you know, clean dishes and stuff like that. But when I had my first job and realized what, what's this, what are interest rates? What's the central bank? You know, what, what's the ASX 
and I, I, I got really into it and um, end up being a commodities trader for oil, gas, uh, gold, yeah, wow. silver, platinum. Um, yeah, so I've covered off a few things there. Um, I was going to say you've gone, you've definitely on the, you've gone from left to right. You're doing bits of everything. I, yeah, this is really interesting. No, and then so with commodities trading, it's a real global job, and there's actually not, there's not a lot going on in in the Australian time zone. So that's why I got mm-hmm. to work in Singapore and, and Shanghai and, and the real business is going on in London and, and New York, but you know, just moving that much closer and the precious metals in gold and silver. And that was more, there's just a whole bunch of gold in banks in London that gets shifted from vault to vault. So it's not right. really that much commodities based. It's sort of like a financial instrument, but the mm-hmm. oil and copper, things like that, they actually got, it's a, like a shipping operation. So you got to, get you know a giant oil tanker full of oil and get it from amsterdam to singapore and you know if the boat if you put too much bloody oil in it it and this did, didn't happen to me but um it actually hits the bottom of the ocean and can't get through it yeah, geez. um yeah. and there's all those geopolitical all the things you see on them that are happening in the middle east they might affect the shipment um mm, and yeah. if you're the trader uh you're sort of ultimately responsible for every single aspect of everything um so that was full on and amazing. Yeah, and um, I was the only physiotherapist. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like you could do a bit of do a bit of work, tra- do the commodities work, do everything else, and also do a bit of manual therapy on the side and well, just yeah. some some lock yeah. some Lockman's tests on the knees or a bit of shoulder work or just you got see, the see what's going on. The Lockman's. Oh, mate. Yeah, yeah, exercise physiologist. When you, I resonated when you said I was sick of dealing with other people's pain. That's the reason why I stopped clinical work yeah. as well. I was just like, oh, I just couldn't. I just, I just couldn't do it. And I was just done. Like it, working, it, it workers' you. comp now, but it was no. killing me. Yeah. It drains it, it you as a person because I think um, probably, and you know, they probably don't tell you this at uni, but the biggest energy you're providing to your patients is just being positive and and like a good sounding board. And if you're doing that mm. in 20 minute slots or 30 minute slots from, you know, the, the job at DY, they, he started at 6.30, it was 6.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. with a two hour lunch break and I'd go surfing at Curly. So, you know, I was pretty <laughs> exhausted at the end of those days. Um, yeah. and, and people, they're expecting a lot from you to be able to do with your hands because you can't, you know, administer medicine or do operations or anything. It's all basically your, mm. your words and your hands and it, yeah, it really wears people down. Most of my friends from physio aren't physios. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I've seen you know, a lot of my mates now who EPs and, and the like, they're the same. They were just so jack of it. And um, yeah, went into the, I suppose, commercial world for, yeah. for for lack of a better word, you know, down a different path, exactly what I did. Um, and a lot of others um, have done that as well. So yeah, it's an interesting, interesting industry um yeah and the the longevity of it i think if someone can be a physio for a long long period of time um they're doing very well or they've opened a really successful business unfortunately i think that's the the ways that you've, you've and if, i mean i do have a couple of mates still in it and but i think they've found a way to to just not give a hundred percent of themselves not saying they half-assed it hmm. but they um they just find that balance where they give enough to get good results hmm. but they don't burn themselves yeah. out and that's a skill yeah, that's that, smart is very hard to learn if you're super gung ho and you know yeah yeah <laughs> want to go 110 percent um yeah absolutely 
Yeah. There's something I want to um something I want to pick up on. You said you lived overseas um a bit. You know, it, as I suppose as a as a really broad before we um make the link to the to the magazine and what you do nowadays. But what was it like living overseas? Is it is it something that you really relished and and loved, or was it you're there because of the work that you had to do, or you know what was what was the thing you I suppose learnt the most about living overseas? Yeah, well, the first time was actually again through German. Uh, end of year ten, I did a three month exchange in Germany in Saarbrücken, and um, that again this sort of when you I think I was fifteen when I went. And um, but to just be dropped off at uh, Frankfurt Airport and wow. find your way to and and it's all foreign language and and it's being able to speak a foreign language that's sort of like a superpower to to feel like um, you know you you can survive and and thrive in that situation mm. and go to school and give presentations and do your homework in German all that sort of stuff um, and then I didn't really live overseas again until. Uh, commodities trading job which was both Singapore and Shanghai and that was you know for work I was working really really insane hours um, but it was such a pleasure to be um, especially in Shanghai and to see because all Australians talk a lot about China and actually mm. have a lived experience and I had to on my own find a place to rent and deal with like a landlord and um, mm. and, and just Again, I couldn't speak any um, Mandarin, so that was different. I, I sort of learned how to pronounce my street name to taxi drivers and say it with a perfect accent. <laughs> um, but then just to see, I mean, if you walk down the street in China, um, in Shanghai at least, you know, everyone's trying to bloody shoulder out of the way and smash your face in. <laughs> everyone's spitting everywhere, <laughs> and um, and this is culture, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I actually did write another book, which is called Slippery. And it's about that whole oil trading experience in Singapore and mm. Shanghai. And um, it's probably not, not accused, but it would come across in some degrees racist how I talk about Shanghai. And that's a little bit disappointing because mm. I've got really good friends there. But, you know, the people in China are very, very self-orientated. And uh, I don't think I saw an ambulance the whole time I was there. Um, and if you don't take care of yourself and your family, you're in big trouble. And that's sort of, a real necessity of life there. Um, but having seen Shanghai and in 1993, I think, if you'd look at a photo, it's just a river. And I was there in 2012 mm. and it is a futuristic city. Um, it's the, it's the Gotham city, they call it of, you know, of Asia. And it rivals yeah, New York wow. city in terms of just skyscape and history. And I'm not sure what it's like in COVID, but there's something always cool going on. You know, and there's yeah, someone well. dangerous, someone super rich, someone super famous, someone yeah. super bitchy within every sort of 50 metre radius of wherever you are. Yeah, interesting. And I just feel yeah, lucky to have lived there, to too, and paid to live there, you know. To, yeah. I didn't have to go and travel there. I was just sent there. Yeah, interesting. Well, having I've never been there, but I have been to New York, and that is nice. one impressive, chaotic uh, yes. place. So I could only imagine... Uh, that, but then throw it into something with not my uh, normal dialect that, you know, yeah. and then putting that all on top of each other would just be, I think, just a massive cesspool of just chaos. So that sounds but talk about, um, like, quite country. interesting, I think, to look at. <laughs> they look the same. I mean, you, communist China, it, 
everything you see in America, they're, they're the biggest capitalists going. They love all those brands. They love sort of yeah. high-end handbags and stuff like that. Um, and then there's a there's a bustle of city. So say New York, Shanghai, Paris. Sydney's not really up there because it, you know, bed shut everything down and the city's got no sort of yeah. beating heart after dark. Um, but Shanghai and New York are like sister cities. You, you'd feel extremely interesting. Like you're in the same place almost. It's just more polluted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So if we if we do a, a big you know sweep here, and I know we've only been talking for about twenty odd minutes here, but you've gone you know all the way through your school. We've got um, learning German. We've got changing up of schools. We've got physiotherapy. Um, we've got commodities. We've got living overseas. You've got written books that I'd love to obviously ask about as well um, when we get closer to the end. But we, we get to this point, and I suppose we're going to fast forward it to, you know, recent, more recent times in the sense of now. Um, now, with the Tawny Frogmouth magazine, I want to go back to, I suppose, the very, very start. What was the conversation, the, um, you know what, I think we can do this, or let's do this what what was what was that conversation who was it with where was it you know what nice. what made liam carroll kick off 20 frog mouth magazine for the beaches so rupert murdoch bless his soul when he <laughs> decided to abandon the print run of manly daily so that mm. was the catalyst and that i think was maybe made public knowledge in april 2020 but definitely I think maybe it's the 1st of May 2020 was the last print run. And so that um, got some people thinking, and there's, there's sort of a replacement, Manly Daily, the Northern Beaches Review, which is a weekly sort of more like a newspaper, unlike the Tawny. Um, but that initial um, vacuum created by Rupert abandoning that print, and, and the Manly Daily is 115 years old and it's a real institution mm. and an icon so that was what got it started um also so since uh, the oil train the the sort of training i'd actually done was screenwriting at the australian film tv radio school and so i've got no journalism training or um you know no training in writing really apart from that yeah. uh, i'd written yeah. the two novels before that that sort of um, doing those studies um but another mate of mine thought you know, we could just do a weekly newspaper, maybe we could just call it the Beaches Daily or just sort of play on the Manly Daily. Um, and and he was very into... The, the main way these things make money is by selling real estate or having sort of real estate agent advertisers. Um, but then I called... I'd written a couple of magaz a couple of articles for a surf mag called Beach Grit, an online surf mag. And so there's a guy, Derek Riley, who's the founder of that and who created stab magazine if you're aware of stab mag yeah wow yeah um, yeah and he'd been i just called him and i said how hard is it to do a like a weekly magazine and he was like man it's the hardest thing ever that's the worst idea you know <laughs> you know he, he'd done weekly magazines in the 90s and and he knew how hard it was but he put me in touch mm. with james hutton who does the beast and the beast is essentially what the tawny is but it's been going for six since 2004 uh, and mm. James Hutton um, is essentially just like me. He's maybe a year or two younger than me. And he's a Bronte board writers type guy. Um, 
and him and his brother and his brother unfortunately had passed away very young before I met them um, but he when I looked at the stats for Raringa and getting back to like what what puts you in a spot to, to be able to tell to start a local magazine or a local newspaper yeah. the average basically everything about the average of a Raringa resident I was <laughs> like you know 39 years old in 10 months um, you know it's 50 50 men and women and like I was like, oh, yeah, I'm as average a Joe as there is yeah, yeah. in this electorate. Um, and then James was similar. Like, So The Beast goes from North Bondi to Maroubra. It's a monthly magazine. Um, and he basically said, mate, I'd be stoked if you did something similar. And if it goes good, just get me a case of beer. <laughs> you know, because I was like, <laughs> you know, he's basically spent 16 years, you know, the format of the tourney to be A5, so that it fits in letterboxes, um, not paying some outside mob to do the deliveries to actually build up your own delivery. I call them the Tawny Foot Soldier Army. Um, mm-hmm. So the very first Tawny was basically me and my stepdad, uh, my six-month pregnant partner. Um, we delivered the 50000 ourselves um, rather wow. than pay some mob to do it. Um, things like that and, and just treat people, um, any advertiser, any writer, just, just, his advice was just be, just be nice. Um, and the media in general, especially online to get clicks is often quite malicious and nasty and, and negative news gets the clicks. Good stories don't. So if you're going to commit and do the print run and 50,000 is a huge print run. If you tell nicer feeling uplifting stories, which is something from screenwriting, it's all about eliciting positive emotion. It doesn't have to be, but you know, the, the best movies are the ones that are really well received, like little miss sunshine or um, the castle, um, mm. Muriel's wedding, they, they sort of had this ability to, it's more about, it's more personal. It's got a sort of emotional response. So I was more interested in telling those sorts of stories and had the confidence that if it was in a print form where you're holding it in your hand, you're not scrolling on your phone, getting notifications mm. that you're late for a meeting or that so-and-so commented on your Facebook post or whatever, if you're actually holding a print thing in your hand, you'll engage with those sorts of stories. Um, so, but there was a lot of work to do between May 2020 and the first issue was the December 2020 mm. mag. Um, but that started landing in letterboxes in November, let's say like November 18 or so. Um, yep. And all that content was, you know, I basically wrote the whole first one <laughs> and delivered yeah, it. Right. And, um, my partner's a graphic designer and she's amazing. Who She can make it look pretty. She's worked more in online, like how do you make an app? You know the user interface, the user experience for digital devices. But the fun fact is that graphic design really started with magazines, you know, 150 years yeah. ago. Um, get it all together. So the graphic design is so important to make the mag look um, slick. You know, it's not like a hmm. pamphlet or an A4 newsletter. It's it's a legitimate magazine, and that's thanks to Quinn. Um, but then the funny part was the first one came out and it's so hard to explain. If you go back to the first one, any advertiser in it is essentially a mate that I pleaded and begged with to just give me any money whatsoever. Um, and they all got, you know, free, essentially almost close to free ads. Um, and the name Tawny Frogmouth, uh, I knew the biggest challenge was if you open your letterbox, if, it's, if something's free that lands in your letterbox, the very good assumption is it's complete garbage. 
or it's trying yeah. to tell you something you don't want, you know? So yeah. it's some sort of thing yeah. you don't want, you're not interested in. And so the tawny frogmouth as a name, it really fits the mag because tawny frogmouth birds sort of hide out in the trees, what's going on, and they've sort of got this spiritual wise ability to communicate with people. Um, hmm. Don't want to get too lofty about the magazine, but you know, hopefully aspire to that sort of ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also a no, I love name. It. You go, what the hell is this? What is this stupid thing? Yeah. And um, <laughs> the first six issues, we actually had a, a little almost emblem saying like Beaches Monthly Mag, just to make it clear. But within sort of six issues, people know what it is. And, and that means we can just have a bit less on the title so that the cover art really mm. takes center stage. And that, that's a pillar of the mag to show off a local artist in each issue. Um, and that artwork, yeah, awesome. that ability to have a canvas, 50,000 magazines to show off local artists, they're getting great coverage. Um, and it makes people realize a bit like Mambo, you know, that's a Northern Beaches type icon. Mm. Um, a lot of guys and a lot of women too, but they're not going to go to art galleries, but they actually really appreciate good art. And so if you actually get it to their letterbox, they go, oh, that's what the hell is that? That's awesome. And and rather than going to Ikea and buying artwork from Ikea, they might, um, you know, ring the person up and get a commission out of that and, and support the local art scene that way. I've answered a lot of things there. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. No, no, it's great. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm loving this, actually. Um, so <laughs> a big overview of of the Frogmouth the magazine. I, the, the one question, and you sort of, you raised it and you spoke about it too. But the tawny, the tawny frogmouth. So you mentioned, you know, it's it hides in trees, and it's a it's a little bit. I remember the first time picking it up, picking it up, and you know, you, it won because I looked at it, and went, "What is what is this? Nice. Why is there an owl on my Fooled my you. mailbox?" Gotcha. And I had, had had a flick through, and you know, now I look at it every single time. But what was the I suppose the the decision on that? You know, why not the the magpie or the seagull, or was there any particular reason in like? In regards to that it um there was a few ideas but essentially my stepfather is a bird watcher and okay and at a place at um fairlight where i used to live there's a tree that's actually been cut down um that i call it the mayor of manly or him or her at the tawny frog yeah. i went for a jog one morning and when i got back it was just if anyone's seen tawny's um it was obviously their camouflage and a lot of them have seen you because you don't see them because they're so well camouflaged. <laughs> but I spotted this one yeah. and it just, it just stared at me. It was so cool. And it was likely sleeping and sort of chilling out during the day is what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and then I sort of ran inside, got my phone, took a photo. I didn't know about 20 frog mouths. So I sent that photo straight to my stepdad. He's like, yeah, 20 frog mouth, you know, like as if it was the most common thing in the world. And then, <laughs> that was that was you know at least two or three years before the mag but it stuck with me and and then trying to think of an idea for a good name an interesting name a quirky name and then looked into tawny frogmouse actually the nature of the of the creature itself and um they're sort of these monogamous partners they are horrific nest builders they're not handymen um <laughs> they, they have this ability to camouflage in the trees and just watch what's going on and then they're not ours. They don't have big talons. If anyone's watched uh, Napoleon Dynamite, but um, <laughs> they've got soft feet, and the way they eat is with their mouths. They've got these big mouths, and then if they open their mouth up, 
it actually looks like a Venus flytrap and a lot of insects will just fly straight in because it's so bright and attractive. Uh, or they can use their mouths to, to get food. Um, they apparently throw their poo at people they don't like. They cry when their kids <laughs> die. Or we actually had a story. Um, it was in Victoria, but it was about, so it didn't really fit the, the specifications of local news, but it was about a tawny frogmouth. <laughs> And, and the theory was that a tawny had lost its, its, its lover, its partner, because a dead tawny was found in the park locally. And then this tawny was basically each night coming down and perching um, in his husband's hair, sort of doing his hair for him and sort of cuddling up. Yeah, wow. um, and they sort of believed that was some sort of healing process. Um, and people who often mistaken the tawny's cry or the way it, the sound it makes, um, for like a reversing truck or just a boop, boop. No, it's, it's not a beautiful mm. noise, but um, everything about this creature um, just was amazing. And in terms of a publishing icon, um, you know, yeah. it, it was perfect. And um, in terms of if there was a bird that could become a magazine writer, the tawny would have a, it'd be the best mag going. Because they see everything yeah, going perfect. on and they keep their trap shut until it's time to open up and lure some food in. <laughs> I love that. Like the observer over just the northern beaches, just like yes. taking it all in and then at one point, monthly now, obviously, okay. and then letting it, uh, letting, it, letting it all go out. I suppose then on that point, um, Liam, what, what does, for those who have not had the privilege of picking up um, one of your magazines, what's, what do you normally find? Um, in Tawny of Frogmouth? It, it's a variety magazine and, and a variety, that's a bit of a funny word, but basically my theory was, you know, have some just news, which might be anything, but then have sport, health, education, crime, uh, investing, blind dating, um, film and food. Mm. Um, a real pillar of the mag is the cover and that's always created by a new mm. local artist each month and then there's an, always an interview with that cover artist inside to learn a bit more about them and, and bring their personality to life. Another pillar is Paige Turner, who's just my mum, but she's our book reviewer. And yeah. in order to promote books, it's very difficult. So we try and she'll do a book review on at least one local artist, uh, one local author, and, and get that to the 50,000 mm. homes and hopefully help them sell a book, which is almost impossible to do. Fantastic. Um, yes. Yeah. Diggs Music, a mate of mine, Digby, who's a musician writes about music issues and, and that's been pretty interesting with COVID and that, that actual column has become more about sort of accounting financial advice on how to navigate JobKeeper. Yeah. <laughs> Did a really yeah, good article. Wow. <laughs> Another local artist called Dwan and Only who's a really good singer and they just helped yeah. anyone work out what they're entitled to with all the sort of different payments, which is not about music yeah, at all, but it actually yeah. really is about music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, got the star signs, call it Crystal Ball. Um, and, and some people have criticized crystal ball for not being like a train. It's not real. And as if like, <laughs> so that's always a funny argument to have with people. Um, and then uh, uh, I sort of, I naturally take the piss probably too heavily. So I try and have a little yeah. bit of piss taking in the mag and, and probably the first mag has the most piss taking where, um, the proud property <laughs> portfolio proponent, Hugh G Lee in debt is our property expert. Uh, Inspector Conviction <laughs> is our crime writer. But as time's gone on, sometimes 
there's not content each month to really bring that to life in a so say for instance with crime yeah. if there's a serious crime you can't have a tongue-in-cheek chat about it and so con sure. conviction um he makes little cameos now he's not in there every issue <laughs> um but there's always room for more because uh, i think that's what is just the sort of the banter and the sort of comedy value of a print publication you know i'm of the generation so with mad magazine or um just different yeah, ways to have yeah, fun yeah, in yeah. print and i think that's what really helps it cut through because a, a, a print the sort of letterbox delivered print publication is often very serious about council issues or or not mm. written with any real love of jus of language of having a bit of fun so actually the biggest compliment yeah, i got after the first issue was um uh, there's a band called Tism. Uh, this is Serious Mum, mm -hmm. and they uh, they did the song "I'm on the Drug That Killed River Phoenix." It's a very popular song. Um, right. <laughs> but they all wear these stupid masks and costumes, and so when the first one came out, someone sent a letter saying they were just stoked to have like whoever this Tism masked person is making this stupid mag. You know, thank you. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that was the best compliment I could have could have hoped for. But I have come to criticism because awesome. it's not as it's maybe not as funny. I, I think there's still plenty of funny elements to the mag, but there are some people sure. with some really sincere local stories about things that you, you can't poke fun at, you know. Um, so I try and yeah. find that balance. And you've got yeah, to create it in a month. You don't have much time. You've got to just do what you can. <laughs> now, I was, that was what I was also going to say. So cr creating a balance and then turning a magazine around pretty much, what, every 25 to 20 days yes. once it goes into... I'm just taking a guess there on you know publication and printing and pressing and I'm I'm assuming that doesn't just happen like a click of a finger so I wish you know, having, awesome. all, having all that okay yeah that would be good I think um I want I want to lead you into what's been one of the best stories but I just want to read you out when um when I emailed you asking um if you could jump on it'd be awesome email I just love what you said to me you said um oh if you just email me through through this email that'd be better um. The 20 mailbox is crucial for local issues like dog poo, which always seems to get a lot of traction. <laughs> sure does. Are you getting a lot of uh, dog poo stories through the oh, uh, 20 inbox? Or? I might almost start a second publication <laughs> dedicated to dog poo and dog owners. <laughs> no, it's... Um, and so not to give away too many secrets of the mag, but you want to have yeah. divisive issues and not divisive in a negative way, but things where literally... Hmm. Every second person has the direct opposite opinion. Like it's so dog yeah. dog yeah. ownership is the perfect example. And then I know that that will encourage some letters. Um, and it all goes back to the first issue where there's a page six is called Peninsula Wash Up, and it's just about just bits and pieces of mm -hmm. things that are happening. And the very first one is the timing was perfect, where a local dog owner, irresponsible, had uh, let their dog off their leash at Long Reef, which is, it's a marine reserve. You're not supposed to do that. And then it tried to chase down a seal. There was a seal just having a good time. And and then I said, oh, you know, it's chasing this seal and hassling this seal. Doesn't know that seal's a great white's brisket. And it was complete piss take, <laughs> but it was a real story that happened. There was photos and this guy actually faced some sort of charge having his dog off the leash. But then that, <laughs> and this was my awakening of how passionate some people are. And I got this letter like, yeah. I will never read the Tawny again. Liam Carroll has no idea about the <laughs> responsible dog owners on the beaches. But then the other equal, was, yeah, dog owners are out of control. They don't know what they're doing. They've got to do this, blah, blah, blah. And like, 
ever since it's really been a can of worms because COVID has created a lot of dog. A lot of people bought dogs because they're at home, and yeah. a lot of them. The reality, and we've done stories about Monica's Doggy Rescue, which is a shelter at Ingleside. Mm, yeah. Um, owning a dog is not easy, and and if you're actually spending all your time with it, you know, 168 hours a week because you're working from home. When you actually go back to work, go to school, these dogs are going to be barking all day. They're going to be lonely. They're going to be um, have anxiety, depression, mm. all these issues, which, you know, I shouldn't joke about it, but, you know, it's serious. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and, and the, there's definitely a lot of dog poo around, and people have noticed it. Yeah. And you may say you own a dog and you always pick up your dog poo, but I know I've seen them. They don't. <laughs> but then, you know, <laughs> some people do, some people don't. Um and this is an ongoing big issue. And I think if you start a yeah, political party dedicated to dog poo issues, you'd probably get a lot of votes. <laughs> I just loved it. Opening up the email and that being the first line, I was like, this is going to be a great podcast. I'm, oh, I'm, nice. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> what, is, um, what is one of the, I suppose, best stories or best submissions that and you personally obviously everything that you put into the magazine you know is something that you're proud of and there's something you want to be represented as as the you know the chief auditor um, author sorry of of what you do um what's one one of the best stories i suppose that you've been most proud to publish well i think this is where rupert burdock really doesn't understand australia because he's in america counting money Hmm. but um the the northern beaches has this reputation for being like silver tails because i don't know why the manly seagulls is associated with having heaps of money which i'm sure they don't i'm sure they're not yeah. hiding and 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 most of the people <laughs> they're not all investment bankers or anything they're sort of mainly tradies and small business owners and there's a real insanely strong sense of community on the northern beaches um hmm. and and one of the best stories was it was actually about Stuart house which is at south Kirkco. And like I surf Coco all the time, I never knew what Stuart House really was. Um, but it was a school set up in the Great Depression by some doctors and teachers where kids could go if they were, you know, if they weren't from a great, necessarily like a, a home that could take perfect care of them, they'd go and get their teeth checked, get their eyes checked, get basic care um, and have a little break from their own household. Um, and this, this has been going... Mm. For a long time and they need five million dollars a year basically to fund it and that's off that's raised by a lot of teachers salary sacrifice and school kids do little fundraising drives so we did a story about that for their 90th birthday and then an anonymous reader just just rang up and just said i want to give them twenty thousand dollars and so it was like amazing and then i rang them and said yeah i got a i got an anonymous only wants to give you 20 grand they're crying and um and it just means so much and that and that's for a sort of charity that is not, these kids are not local kids. These are kids from all over New South Wales from, you know, mm, okay. yeah. troubled sort of homes. Um, so that was huge. And then on a similar way, uh, it's sort of similar about how generous people are. And it's a bit different because it's about investing money. Um, but our sort of, I guess, my step uncle or something who started Good Redigby, a whiskey, um, you know, not allowed to call it whiskey because he's able to distill it in three months, not three years. Yeah, right. And he yeah. sort of um, saw that rather than having barrels trying to use cubes of timber, and that rather than that just okay. increases the surface area of timber that interacts with the the liquor and makes them um, distill faster. So we did a story about that, 
in a thing called Silicon Brookie, which is another sort of common, it's all about innovation <laughs> and local disruptors. Well, um, but he, well, it is Brookie. That's I'm, I'm starting yeah. to call it the uh, the Pentagon Brewery Pentagon down it at is. Brookie now with five breweries, distillery, yeah. everything like down there. It is it is Silicon Brookie down there. You should it's trademark fine. it because I reckon that's happening. Well, I, I think I might have used it a while ago. Damn it! But uh, <laughs> I don't want to get sued by him. But he basically put in in August there was a one page ad to invest in Australia's Australian distillery, um, and it was like a. It's not what a local magazine should do. It was actually like a pitch document that an investment bank would send their clients or something. But then he raised right. yeah. he raised over eight hundred thousand dollars in in a week almost or very quickly from wow. different readers in Bagala Heights or uh, you know Manly and Coco who, if you were to email them and go, oh, hey mate, I've got a really good business idea. Can you give me a hundred grand? <laughs> you know they're not gonna that email's not gonna go so great. <laughs> Next. But you sort of sneak it in in a, in a sort of a variety of local publication, and it was clear to me that that is going inside the homes of very you know powerful people who are reading a, a local magazine, which um, is free, delivered by one of the Grommies, um, and it's got this cut through, um, and that was just it was just really sort of gratifying, and also really cool for him for his business to expand and. Uh, didn't expect that sort of stuff necessarily. Uh, and it's all due to the community yeah, of the awesome. beaches is a really powerful community and they want to stand behind their, their neighbor. Yeah, in my opinion, awesome. in my opinion, resonate with community. The community. No, I, I agree with you in regards to the community. You know, I'm not, my father's a born and bred beaches boy. I've only been here for the last two and a half years, but there's one thing that I've realized very quickly and no matter what circle you run in, whether it's a, uh, a sporting group, uh, a church community, the blokes you surf with, guys and girls you surf with, you know, the people down at the clubby, people at the pub, you know what I mean? For goodness sake, like everybody's just so like, there is that sense of community here. And I think it's something that, you know, I've definitely realized in comparison to other places um, across that. And so I think that when you have that intention and bringing that into a, into a magazine and, and building that up and letting it kind of be the magazine for the area, I think that's, Really, really cool. And that, that story about, you know, Stuart House and, you know, raising that type of money, like that is, that's, that's awesome. That, that couldn't be any more that's exciting for them, for the work yeah. that they're doing. And and realistically, like it was some obviously work from your end, you know, to write it and to research it and to do everything. But in comparison to what the 20 grand would have done for you, it's not that, you know, like not that much, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, that's, that's the... That's what it's all about, isn't it? Like, that's, and that, getting back to what we sort of spoke about earlier, if if you were to have a blog, and 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 you wrote an article about Stuart House, and you know, if you had a really successful blog, maybe a lot of people read it, but the odds of, of that engaging a reader the way when you deliver fifty thousand magazines to you know from Spitbridge mm. to Narrabeen Bridge, you know, you sort of need to commit full on, and I think people really respect it, and they're going to read it. Uh, and have a bit of hopefully. I mean, maybe they don't. Um, maybe I'm just completely uh, deluded. But I think they <laughs> sort of respect that the huge effort that goes to actually deliver it to their home. And when the when the letterbox opens up and it's there, there's a there's a feeling of warmth towards it. But again, I'm totally yeah, biased. Absolutely. So you don't listen to anything I say. <laughs> well, I enjoy it. I I only just um, 
you know, started probably in the last six months really, you know, getting into it and because, you know, waiting for it in the mailbox and because I just didn't know what it was. And then when Chris got his little snippet at the end, we were like, oh, yeah. well, we've got to read it to support him and, and to, to get in there, which is awesome. I suppose it leads me into one of my final questions. Um, what's the future aspirations um, for the magazines? Are you going to keep ticking on or obviously don't share any state secrets or anything but is there um you know any aspir- future aspirations that you'd like for the tourney i mean basically just to, to have a really awesome local mag um and then beyond the mag um you know have i think it's a really good platform to to spruik events and so hmm. um the print has its limitations and so i'd love to have you know music festivals movie festivals um bake offs and dash for caches and covid yeah, really nice. puts a dampener on all that sort of stuff um yeah, yeah. i think there's a huge appetite for uh and i don't think I'm about to do it but i would love the event i would love the most um is if you had to uh so you start at the corso so say you start at the stain and sydney sydney road is a very steep road fair like fire stations <laughs> at the top if you had to both eat a kebab and scull a beer and run up that hill. Um, oh. that'd be, a, that'd be a true Olympic sport. Uh, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's not my, that's not the only goal I have, but that'd be a pretty good one. Um, but I think trying to have, I reckon some... I'd get to manly. I reckon I get to about manly oval and I'd be done. I haven't even got the well, hill would yet. You, I'd be like, would I'm you out. eat I'm... and scull first or would you try and wait till you got to the top or would you do it on the way? And there'd have to be no spillage. There'd be a lot of uh, judges watching. Um, Whoa, it's a real it. psychological battle. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking. I think. Oh, I think I'd eat the kebab first. Yes. And drink the beer at the end. Nice. And skull skull the beer at the end because I think the what food, a strategist. I think I'm thinking digestion now. Probably would take would you try fifteen and to twenty on, on the on the get... trot. Would you try and walk a bit as you're eating it, or just stand oh, still? That, yeah, okay, that could be. No, I reckon I would like. Oh, I could, okay, I could eat while I. Yeah, you got this. Is going. Really would you have chili now. sauce? Eat, so eat on the fine. way. No chili, no chili sauce. No, that would be <laughs> that would be detrimental. <laughs> I reckon I would eat on the way, and just as I got to then Manly Oval, back myself to finish it by Manly Oval, and then just leg it up the hill, and then nice. nail the beer at the top. Oh, I think you should have kept there that you to yourself because that sounds like a winning strategy. Well, high people podcast was still in the early days, so if it ever happens, I'm gonna just cut that last ten minutes off. It never happened, and then uh, and I'll, I'll get some, I'll get some training. Sponsors. So you'll win at least five hundred million trillion dollars. So you know, oh, keep yeah, training. Beautiful. How good. Work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna to need to do a bit more. Whatever the up debt of the US Federal sure. Reserve is, you'll win that. I think it's twenty trillion. So, <laughs> oh, jeez, just pocket change. Absolute Easy. pocket change. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, this this has been um, awesome. Thank you, obviously, so much for coming on. Um, if you know people want to get um, the magazine, who live obviously in the Northern Beaches area, or um, even people who don't live in the Northern Beaches area, is there is there a way that they can follow either online if they can't get the magazine, or um, you know, how can people you know get your awesome um, content in their hands? Yeah. So we basically just upload the exact digital replica in a PDF of the magazine on the first of the month that it comes out. 
Um, so say the next issue is going to be the March 2022 issue. Um, we'll start delivering that from the 18th of February, but on the 1st of March, we'll make sure that's available on the website. It's just a PDF. And then there's often a few different articles, sort of creators blog type articles on the website. Unfortunately, we can't do all the articles, uh, but we do maybe hmm. sort of six to 10. Um, and otherwise just get in the drop zone, just move to Manly or Narrabeen. Um, <laughs> and, and often people in Motorvale and Avalon, Newport, um, you know, that's another, might be able to expand the distribution footprint with the premium deluxe letterbox delivery. Um, but at the moment it's 47,500 from Narrabeen to Manly, direct to homes and 2,500 to wow. public places. Um, to do the Northern Beaches fully, um, it's probably 100,000. Um, but to probably start covering the North Northern Beaches, you have to print another 20,000. And, and once you get past Narrabeen, those suburbs just get bigger and more sparse and harder yeah. to deliver to. Yep. We get yep. 50 each month yep. to Scotland Island. We get we get a few to various places that, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to the back at Church Point or anything. <laughs> those letterboxes are few and far between. You know, yeah, it's hard to make, yeah. hard to make Manly and DY look pretty attractive for delivering. Um, yeah, we, we're getting more and more bits of uh, Davidson, Kalani Heights. Um, so trying to get as much as we can. Um, and it's nice when people complain that it doesn't get delivered that they want it. And uh, I shouldn't say it too loudly, but I often just drop off copies to people who whinge enough. <laughs> you know, so if you whinge loud enough, you'll get one delivered by me personally. And I deliver, I deliver heat anyway. Um, it's part of it. There you go. That's that's the comment of the whole podcast. Whinge enough to Liam, and he will drop one off yeah. personally for you. Another, you if you got if you got a bunch of horses on your property at Terry Hills, you know, my heart doesn't go out to you. That's a, you know, it's, if you've got horses on your property, you should just go to Terry Hills Post Office. Um, but you never know if you whinge really well. Yeah, I am partial to whinging. Uh, that is awesome. Well, I, I definitely the Northern Beaches listeners and those who aren't can obviously jump online and, and have a look. But Northern Beaches definitely will look out for our mailbox and um, we'll be looking forward to reading the new uh, edition, the March edition, as you said, which should be coming out quite soon. So we're looking forward to that. But Liam, thank you so much for coming on, sharing a bit about your life, a bit about the magazine and how you run that um, and do everything. And uh, really excited for what that looks like in the future. So yeah, thanks for coming on the High People Podcast, mate. It's been really good to chat. And I can't leave without telling you that the book is called Slippery about oil trading and it starts at the stain. Yes. So, um, you know, it's got a local touch before it goes international. So, uh, there you go. Well, it's got a lot of swearing though, so, well, so. Don't, don't, don't confuse that with <laughs> the corny content. It's, no. <laughs> real <laughs> different times different yes. different times so I've, I've grown and matured very <laughs> <laughs> awesome thank you so much Liam it's been a great chat pleasure